Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back, everyone, to the 21st episode of the Take the Points podcast, part of the Blue Wire podcast network. I'm your co-host, Tate Seth, joined as always by Arjun Menon. Before we dive into previewing the Week 7 slate, we have to discuss the San Francisco 49ers trading uh, second, third, and fourth round picks in 2023 and a fifth round pick in 2024 for former Panthers running back Christian McCaffrey. Arjun, you know, huge move. How do you feel about this? I, of course, like every other nerd and film grinder, um, was instantly intrigued by how he would fit into this Niners offense, right? We're talking about a player that ranks really highly in your rushing yards over expected, so he's a very efficient player, one of the best pass-catching running backs out of the out of the backfield. And while Shanahan's never really had like a really, really good running back, he's never needed to either. Then Ian Rappaport tweets out the trade compensation, and we're, talk- we're talking – a second round pick, a third round pick, a fourth round pick, and then a fifth round pick in 2024. And that is just way too much for Christian McCaffrey. Strictly, you take away what like he adds on the field in terms of his receiving and rushing ability. We're talking about a running back that has missed significant time in the past two years and is on the biggest running back contract in the NFL right now. And you trade all of that for him. Now, for our listeners, I took the time to basically calculate how much their draft, like the draft picks are worth. If we assume the Niners are picking 20th in this year's NFL draft, they traded the 20th you know, pick in the second, third, and fourth round. And then we devalue the fifth round and make it a sixth round pick in the middle of the pack. The, the Fitzgerald Spielberger draft value that the Panthers got is 2,258, which is equivalent to the fourth overall (laughs) pick. Christian McCaffrey went seventh in the NFL draft, I believe. Seventh or ninth? One of those two. He went eighth overall, yeah. (laughs) Okay, of course he went eighth. (laughs) He went eighth overall. The Niners traded basically the fourth overall pick for him after he's played now... Six years. This is his sixth year in the NFL. I I I just can't understand. I just don't understand the math behind it. I don't understand like the strategy behind it. And it's just from an analytics perspective, this is 
just not a good move. Obviously, from a football perspective, I'm super excited to see what he does. But trading basically the fourth overall pick for a running back in his second contract in his sixth year with all the time he's missed just makes no sense. Mm. Yeah, you know, I think I think first of all, like from you know, everyone wants to focus on the 49ers side, which we should because they're you know the ones who made the move. Panthers got like a tremendous deal out of it. Like he didn't fit their timeline, full rebuild, and you got all these picks. Like having an extra second, third, and fourth round pick in this year's draft when you really need to rebuild is huge. But everything you said from the 49ers perspective is right. Like I just think, you know, like his versatility, you know, being um, you know, leading the NFL in receiving yards right now, third in yards per route run behind Austin Eckler and Brees Hall, uh, is is gonna be really cool to see how the 49ers fit him into an offense that has the lowest target share to running backs right now with only 7.9% of their passes going there. But the 49ers offense hasn't needed this type of running back to be really, really efficient in the past, making the Super Bowl, uh, you know, four years ago or three years ago, making the NFC Championship game last year because of, you know, a, a efficient offense coupled with like a, a defense that can make a lot of plays. So when you make this move and, you know, with, like kind of like where he's at in the contract, like 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 you said, like equivalent to trading a fourth overall pick, and then you have to opt in, or you have to decide whether or not you want to opt in to his extension that'll be twelve million dollars a year, which is more than what someone would get at the fourth overall pick. So it's just a ton of resources to dedicate to a running back position in which you've already dedicated a ton of resources to using you know a day two pick basically every single draft for the past three seasons just to find the running back when Jeff Wilson, undrafted free agent, is your leading rusher right now and has the same amount of rushing yards over expected as Christian McCaffrey has. So he offers a lot in the receiving game, but just, just you know, it's, it's, it seems like it's an overpay for McCaffrey in the future. Like, he could really help you this year. I think he mm-hmm. can make your offense, you know, a, a decent amount better this season. But, you know, for a 49ers team that will need, you know, young talent coming in, uh, to support Trey Lance, who will be, you know, their presumed starter going forward. Uh, it's it, it's crazy to just not have, you know, a third, uh, you know, any picks until a third round comp pick at the very end of the the you know that round. It's it's crazy because like like you mentioned, like you've always mentioned, like the Shanahan system doesn't require good running backs, or specifically Kyle Shanahan system. I think other. Mc, uh, like the McVeighs and Zach Taylors might need a good running back, but um, yeah, Shanahan's like just never needed a good running back. But I I get why they traded for him, right? Like Shanahan's first year as a head coach was when McCaffrey is coming out of the draft, and he's always had ties to McCaffrey going back to you know when he was um, working under his uh, dad, Mike Shanahan, and you know Ed McCaffrey was coached by Mike. There's a lot of ties between the Shanahans and the McCaffreys, but strictly from an analytics perspective, I just I'm not too sure how much, like how well this is going to work out for the Niners. It could be really fine. Like I could be completely wrong. This could be the best offense in the league. I just don't get making this type of all in move with Jimmy Garoppolo, who the Niners are trying to move off of for two mm-hmm. years now. Right. And the big thing is the Niners right now rank 25th in, in early down rush EPA. They're ranked 19th in rushing success rate on early downs. So putting the ball in, in McCaffrey's hands on early downs th- through the ground is probably going to start, is going to become a net negative. And um, I'm going to shout out our friend like Judah here. Two years ago, he wrote a great piece about the opportunity cost of Derrick Henry. 
and and like how that was going to slow down the Titans in the playoffs because while he is a great player, those early down rounds compound and compound and compound and it, it will lose you a game. And I'm worried we could have the same effect with with uh, McCaffrey, right? Like the thing with Jimmy G is he might not be like a, a great quarterback, but he always performs efficiently, right? shows up high in EPA per play. Like he can he can do what's what's needed. And if Shanahan can scheme open McCaffrey, McCaffrey as well as he does for other players, I'm sure this offense is going to be great. But depending on how they use him on early downs and what their plan is on early downs, I think that will dictate a lot of the success of this team because you know there are th- like pretty much through three weak links along that interior offensive line, and when Trent Williams gets back, they'll they'll be fine as a as a group overall. But I think they could see some opportunity cost problems when it comes to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I love that, and yeah, no, if they if they take those early down runs that haven't been efficient for them this year and turn them into Christian McCaffrey receptions, uh, then like you know I'll 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 totally be fine with what they're doing this year. But again, yeah, it's just still you know, for, for their, their future outlook in a year where you already don't have a first round pick because of the trade lands trade, giving up your second round pick as well. Um, you know, the, the, your third round pick that like was going to be, you know, in the middle of the third round instead of the comp picks at the end and a fourth round pick is just a lot. And like now, like Kyle Shanahan has no excuse to mm-hmm. ever punt on a fourth and one. Like when you have <laughs> Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Van Ayuk and George Kittle, you should never punt on a fourth and one. This should be one of the guys has to get open if you just send, you know, all four of them wide. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens there. Um, you know, pretty, pretty big move. And I think, you know, it, it, it moves the needle a little bit for the 49ers this year forward, but probably their, their two to four year timeline probably gets taken back a little bit. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just the, it's the trade off of like, you know, you can take advantage of the NFC this year and, you know, uh, passing elite passing offense doesn't mean what it used to be but when you 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 kind of have to you know make the nfc championship at least and like the super bowl because of like a move like this where you give up so much of your future and with how fluky playoff performance is in the nfl that's that's really hard to do yeah i totally agree so that was kind of our thoughts on the mccaffrey trade let's move on to the, the previews for this week's games um, you know, we'll start off with Falcons Bengals. This isn't really a great slate of games, but you know, we have uh, a couple games that we thought were interesting. So Falcons Bengals, why don't you kick us off here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really excited for this game. This will be the the main one o'clock game I tune into, and you know, it's because the Falcons have the most diverse offense in the NFL right now. You know, eleven personnel is the most commonly run uh, package in the NFL. You know, one running back, one tight end, pretty standard. You know, because of the the Shanahan McVay tree that's kind of spread too, it's it's even become more popular. The Falcons use twenty one personnel on um you know twenty six percent of their snaps and twelve personnel on twenty five percent of their snaps. So it's it's a tough offense to prepare for because when you when when teams usually get in twelve personnel with two tight ends on the field, they usually run out of that formation and defenses can you know kind of get used to that. The Falcons are smart and they pass. 60% of the time out of 12 personnel. And then when they get on to 21 personnel, uh, you know, you have your two running backs, you get a, a loaded box 70% of the time. Or sorry, when you have your two tight ends, you get into loaded box 70% of the time. So that's the best offense you can do is pass against a loaded box when they have seven defenders or more in the box. The most efficient thing you can do as an offense is pass out of there. Uh, out of 21 personnel, 
you know, you get a light box and 51% of snaps and they run 65% out of this formation. So they're running when they have lighter boxes and they're passing when they have heavier boxes. So I think Arthur Smith is doing a tremendous job there, you know, keeping Mariota in pistol the most, you know, often in the league. They brought the option game back, you know, the speed options, mm-hmm. read options, all that stuff to, to keep defenses confused. So when I was looking over this, I was getting really excited about what the Falcons had to offer. But I went over to the Bengals side of the ball and started looking at how they defend, uh, you know, non-11 personnel formations. And they're really good at it. And that starts with Lou and Arumo, you know, like being one of the best defensive coordinators at adjusting in the league, you know, because of the Bengals having no true star on their defense and a bunch of just good players. I think they're able to kind of be more versatile in how they defend, um, you know, more unique offenses. And so, you know, the, the Bengals have only allowed a 35% success rate against 12 personnel and a 37% success rate against 21 personnel, both, you know, above average marks in the NFL. So I think, you know, the Falcons are really going to try to grind through this game and have these, these different types of, of packages that they throw out there, but the Bengals are going to be ready for it because of what their defensive coordinator has to offer. Yeah, I, I think your point about the Falcons and like using 12 personnel to create heavier boxes is is so good. It, it like it's something that we've kind of discussed like in the in the past two years. Like 12 personnel theoretically should be or not should be, but like could be the optimal formation, like the the most efficient formation for teams not because like teams will run it a lot like 11 personnel is still king but 12 personnel causes uh, a mismatch advantage right for the offense uh like they have the advantage where Mm -hmm. in the run game they have seven big bodies usually against nickel personnel which is six big bodies right with you know four d linemen and then two linebackers or if you're like brandon staley or vic fangio like you run a five one right so you'll have the matchup advantage in the trenches but you know, the defense will have to respect the run at some time. So like you said, I think running 12 personnel causes the heavier boxes. And when when we talk about like how how teams can create a, a heavier box for their running back or for their quarterbacks to be able to throw the ball more efficiently, you know, w- one of the re- one of the ways is running 12 personnel. The other ones like actually having a good run game without overdoing it. Um, but I, I really like your point on that. And I am, I would say, like, a, a pretty excited to see what Arthur Smith does. Like, I think we have a pretty big disparity in play call, play calling talent on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I don't think a lot of people are very high on Zach Taylor, but it seems like Arthur Smith has squeezed every drop of talent out of this Falcons offense. Now, on the other side of the ball, I am pretty worried to see what the Bengals offense, pretty much at full strength, does to this Falcons defense. I, I don't think the Falcons defense was has been good. Um, and now they just lost Casey Hayward for this game, which is a big loss, right? We talk about adding a weak link to a, you know, not a great secondary, but AJ Terrell and, and Hayward have been playing pretty well so far this year. So it, it's probably going to be a huge mismatch on on the flip side where the Bengals offense will probably dominate the Falcons offense or defense. But the only pushback there is I would say, you know, the Falcons defense has played the fourth highest number of snaps in cover two, which is where the Bengals have struggled in the past. So, you know, Dean Peace, if he increases his usage or cover two, I think he's running at about 22% or 27, 28% of the time right now. If he increases his usage to maybe like 40 on passing plays, I could see the 
Falcons have some success on defense, like some success. But at the end of the day, I think Jamar Chase and T. Higgins are too explosive to bet against. And, you know, while after the Falcons scripted plays and the Bengals fail scripted plays, I would look to take the Bengals live. Uh, but that's not one of our official plays. That's just like how I'm viewing this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great point about what the Falcons defense is doing. They play the highest rate of cover two in the league right now at the 27 percent mark that you mentioned. And so like, that's, you know, how you, that's, that's Burrow's, um, you know, worst coverage played against. He has like a negative 0.06 EPA per pass against cover two. And then as you, you know, go to more single high structures, you know, his EPA per pass gets, you know, into the positives and then becomes really explosive. So if, if the Falcons do stick in cover two, I think that they could slow down the Bengals offense at times, but the receivers are too good to, you know, slow them down for the whole game. And it'll be a, a, a type of game where it's not Jamar Chase, you know, getting uh, 30, 40 yard go routes and, and taking it to the house. It's more of a, you know, getting Jamar Chase on 10 yard inbreakers that he can turn into 20 yards uh, over the middle of the field or T Higgins, you know, on comeback routes or curls uh, close to the sideline. And like Burrow just has to be decisive, you know, get the ball out when you see cover two, you know, take your check down. Uh, when when like presented with the opportunity to do it because like the Falcons defense doesn't have much talent so you can mm-hmm. really exploit that but like if, if he starts taking sacks and it becomes one of those games there is a path for the the Falcons to pull off the upset here yeah agreed okay let's move on to Colts Titans um pretty much the two favorites to win the AFC South and a rematch you know the the Titans and Colts played week four Titans pulled that off 24 to 17 so this game is basically for the division I think if the Titans win this game um you know they they will have the 2-0 tiebreaker over the Colts they will have I think at least a two game or one game lead one and a half game lead over the Colts in the in the division I think we saw like a fundamental shift in the way the Colts are playing their offense like last week, right? Um, in the Broncos game, it did seem like the Colts were running a lot of like deeper developing plays, a lot of five and seven step dropbacks. But in this, in this game against the Jags, Matt Ryan had like a 2.32 average time to throw. He threw the ball like something like 60 plus times, I think 58 times, 389 yards, three touchdowns. So obviously the the game plan worked and the Jags defense, while it isn't like great, it isn't bad, right? Like I would say it's like middle of the pack. So I think we're seeing a, a, a shift in the way that the Colts are running their offense. A lot of quick game, a lot of just quick throws, mitigating the um, kind of like the weakness of their offense, which is their offensive line, I think. Mm-hmm. Like Deion Jackson, who is... You know, a, a household name, I'm sure, had 10 catches for like 70 yards. Michael Pittman, 13 catches for like 130, 150 yards. So it's it's going to be a different offense than what we saw in week four. And the Titans' defense line did have a very good day against the Colts in week four, holding Jonathan Taylor to 42 yards on 21 carries or 20 mm-hmm. carries. So I hope, you know, and he is coming back. And that is the problem. This is the opportunity cost problem. Does Jonathan Taylor coming back? cause the Colts to start running on early down more instead of passing, right? Like 58 passes means the Colts are throwing often and early, which they were. Now, does Jonathan Taylor coming back kind of mitigate that where you start running the ball more and now you're putting Ryan in these expected pass situations where you can't just run quick game, where you have to have those actual five and seven sub dropbacks because Taylor's probably going to be super inefficient on the ground, right? So I am curious to see what the Colts do now that Jonathan Taylor is back and and to see if Matt Ryan's like newfound offense is, is going to continue in this game. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I love that point about, you know, the, the quick time to throw because like when they were going up against the Jaguars last week, that's a defensive line that's really talented and has wreaked havoc on multiple offenses this season. So when, when they approach the game, they're like, we're going to pass a lot and we're going to pass quickly because we're not going to be able to run the ball against this defensive line and we're not going to be able to hold on to the ball past 2.5 seconds to throw. So when you go into this game against the Titans, very similar thing, right? Like the Titans strength of their defense, other than, you know, Bayard is their defensive line. And so I, I do think we see the Colts kind of, you know, go back to a lot of the quick game and everything. But again, like Jonathan Taylor coming back is probably going to force them to run more than it should. And that could really hurt them in this game. But when we go to the other side of the ball, uh, Titans offense first, Colts defense, um, you know, I kind of kind of forgot that the Titans existed <laughs> before <laughs> before this game. I just hadn't hadn't put any thought into them whatsoever. So as I started digging into the data, I realized that Ryan Tannehill has quietly been okay this year. And you know, when I went back and I started watching how he's been playing, Titans rank 16th in EPA per drop back because they don't have a true wide receiver one, mm-hmm. right? Like what? Like Robert Woods is a wide receiver two, um, and and kind of like the other guys that they have there are wide receiver threes and fours. But Ryan Daniel has the highest rate of accurately thrown passes charted by PFF with 69% of his passes being deemed as accurate. But if you take that up to the next level, which is accurate plus, which is like the best throw that you can make that really leads the receiver or is like a perfectly placed ball, basically, he is the eighth lowest rate of that. So, you know, he's kind of back to playing like a Kirk where he'll play in structure well and, you know, get the get get his receivers the ball, but he's not doing anything you know, spectacular that can really elevate this offense. And that's why you have, you know, a pretty average passing offense right now. Uh, so we'll, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, Stefan Gilmore is, has been playing really well this season, you know, for yeah. the Colts and in their secondary. But if he takes away Robert Wood, that doesn't really do much because all the Titans have is secondary receiving options. So when, when they don't, it's not like they're losing their, their wide receiver one, uh, they're, they're just losing a wide receiver too because they don't have a wide receiver one. So, you know, Gilmore will will take away Woods. So it's going to be a big game for all the other pass catchers yeah. on the Titans. Yeah. And, yeah, no, and totally. I think the Gilmore and Woods matchup is kind of be what kind of going to be what decides this game. Now, obviously, if Derrick Henry runs wild, um, I think it will be a bigger problem. But I think Shaquille Leonard should be playing. He was upgraded to a full participant on Thursday. Um, and, you know, DeForest Buckner and uh, Grover Stewart are obviously like one of the better interior D-line ta- uh, tandems. So, yeah, that, that was that's going to be a pretty exciting game. Obviously going to keep up with that. But let's move on to Browns-Ravens. This is probably going to be one of the more exciting games or probably the most exciting game on the 1 o'clock slate this week. So, uh, you know, interdivisional matchup, what did you, you know, what do you, what do you have on this game? Like, what is your lean on this game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I when I saw the original line uh, and it, you know being Ravens minus six, I thought it was too much for a Browns team that has been playing better than their record. But I started to realize, uh, you know, digging into the data, that the Ravens are a really bad matchup for the Browns defense, right? So like the Ravens offense specializes in you know running the ball. Browns defense is the worst, um, you know, rushing. Uh, defense in the league right now they're giving up a 0.16 epa per rush which would be the the sixth most efficient passing offense in the league right now if you got a zero point uh, yeah 
uh, 0.16 EPA per play. That would be the sixth most passing offense in the league. So that's easily the worst in the NFL. So, you know, and, and like this starts with their defensive tackles being so bad and being mauled over in the run game so often. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is going to be a big Lamar Jackson inverted beer, you know, run concept <laughs> game where he's constantly, uh, you know, putting the ball in his running backs, um, hands going to the to the right and then he'll keep the ball go up the middle and you know like the Ravens have finally found I think a little bit of juice in Kenyon Drake um as like a a secondary rusher to help Lamar Jackson um you know 0.05 EPA per rush um 1.17 rushing yards over expected to kind of take it away from J.K. Dobbins who has not been doing well at all so I, I really could see you know the the Ravens offense just running all over the Browns Browns start creeping up and then they really start hitting, you know, uh, Mark Andrews, Duvernay, Rashad Bateman, if he plays all over, you know, the field and like the, the Ravens offense is able to put up a lot of points on this Browns defense has really been struggling. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird how JK Dobbins comes back from this major injury and he's just really inefficient, right? You know, his, <laughs> obviously his agent Zach Hiller won't tell you that, but you know, if, if you, if you know, you know, but, but yeah, I think the Ravens are kind of the only team who can run inverted inverted veer um correctly and efficiently. And you know, for a team like the Browns, it's kind of it's like it's kind of tough to to practice against Lamar Jackson, even though he's been in the division for a couple of years. So it, it is going to be a, a shift in the way the Browns have to play defense. And the fact that they haven't been playing good defense at all, and Bailey Zappi kind of tore them up last week is a little bit concerning. Like, I think that the Ravens could have some really uh, have a lot of offensive success, even if, especially if Bateman comes back. But I don't know these divisional games always feel like it's, you know, six and a half is a lot of points for the Ravens to cover. And mm-hmm. it's not like they've been a, a good team at holding a lead. But on the flip side of the ball, right, like the, the Browns rushing offense kind of took a little bit of a step back against the Patriots, which was kind of unexpected given that the Patriots were like bottom six, bottom seven in rush EPA allowed before the the game last week. But, you know, the the Browns are can can pretty much run against any team they want to. The only issue I have here is why Teller is potentially going to be out, right? So that invites a weak link into their offensive line and their interior with Teller and Betonio are obviously the is probably the best in the NFL. Uh, maybe outside of like the Eagles or something. So when you invite that weak link, right, you can invite, you know, the Ravens in the way they play defense. You're going to have, you know, Clayus Campbell potentially lining up on this right guard or uh, Justin Matabuke, who's been having a pretty solid year. So I am a little bit curious to see how the Browns attack this Ravens defense because the Ravens defense, I would say, is better through the air than it is on the ground. But Mike McDonald's like too high system might allow the the Browns to do whatever they want on offense. So I am that's probably another point to to keep watch of. But yeah, I would definitely give the lean to the Ravens in this game so far. Mm-hmm. And like the thing about yeah, the thing about too high and like if the Ravens decide to come out with that is Jacoby Brissett has not been good against. Uh, when the defense, you know, plays, uh, you know, middle of the field open or too high coverage this year. And that's especially against cover two, um, you know, quarters and cover six have been like the worst coverages that he's been uh, against. And like the Ravens both play quarters and cover six above league average. So really mm-hmm. could see them leaning into that in, you know, more situations where a pass is expected, like, you know, second and 10, um, third and long. But when when yeah when you sit in that all day against the browns they really could run you over the problem is the ravens um 
are actually really good at defending outside zone. It's the, it's the best run concept that they've been good against uh, this year. And so when, when that's like the Browns primary and most successful run concept, if the Ravens are able to stop the Browns outside zone run game early on, and that forces Jacoby Brissett to have to throw against cover two, it could get out of hand. But again, if, if the, if the Browns are able to, you know, get into some more man uh, run schemes and, you know, run all over the Ravens front early in the game, they can keep this close. But, you know, when, when you have this difference in, quarterbacks and you have the matchup advantage it's hard to feel super good about the browns in this game yeah yeah okay jets broncos <laughs> um first off before we talk about this game can we just talk about the jets and like the jets fan base in general i don't know how many jets fans we have listening to this podcast but you know i i was kind of rooting for the team um before the year you know our friend joey decreasy worked for for the Jets over the summer and you know obviously you know when when our friend works for a team we have to support them we gave out their Jets over five and a half over or we gave out Jets over five and a half wins during the summer that was our that was Tage's first bet he ever gave so obviously he liked it the most mm-hmm. you know hanging the banner after winning four games three of them against Skylar Thompson Kenny Pickett and, and a fluke win against Jacoby Brissett calling you know Brees Hall the next uh, Ladanian Tomlinson has been a little too much, right? Like I, I'm okay for optimism. You know, I, I'm definitely on the side of like pessimistic fans at times, but <laughs> the optimism for this team has gone a little too far, right? Like we're we gotta we gotta keep things realistic, right? The Jets' win total is still sitting at eight, eight and a half. They're still the they still have the longest odds to win the division, <laughs> even behind the Patriots, who've been starting Bailey Zappi, right? So. Like let's let's calm down about this team. Obviously, it was a very impressive win in Green Bay against the Packers, but you're still underdogs to Russell Wilson. Even though I like the Jets at, at underdogs, so the Jets fan base has kind of been insufferable the past week. Um, you know, our friend George Shahuri can't even go with a Twitter post without having Jets fans spam his comments about Brees Hall. Um, but yeah, that that was kind of my spiel about the Jets. Have you have you encountered any weird? tweets or, or like replies with the Jets fans? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know, I was I was going to be really happy for Jets fans because like, you know, something I've always talked about with, you know, all my friends who are Lions fans is literally the only, you know, team that has probably been a worse team to root for since like we've been watching football has been the Jets. So it was nice to see them do well initially, but I have felt bad for uh, George. You know, I, I have my rushing yards over expected metric and, you know, Brees Hall, uh, while he's had a positive 0.1 EPA per rush, you know, really, really effective there. Uh, you know, from like a rushing yards over expected standpoint, he's been negative 0.54. So when that's been posted about, you know, like how, you know, how he's he's done like well, like, you know, scoring scoring touchdowns, scrim, you know, top 10 scrimmage yards, like they always like to reference. He actually hasn't been super effective, you know, according to some advanced metrics that we have. Mm-hmm. So that they've, you know, they've come after me for that. And said, you know, these metrics are are bogus, even though you know, <laughs> they they predict, you know, uh, they have, you know, they have an R squared value of zero point zero seven the next year. You know, they can predict, you know, a decent amount of of variance, you know, going from year end to year end plus one. So, like, there there is some weight there, but it 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 has been, you know, kind of impressive, like this, um, kind of like the, how organized this, you know, rebuttal <laughs> yeah. against George for being low on on the Jets have been throughout throughout the season. 
Yeah, Jets fans are like the tone setters, if you know what we're talking about. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, and that that group of guys—they're obviously very funny, but at times. Um, but but yeah, let's let's get on to this game. So you have the battle of the. So last week I kind of talked about on the forecast how this was a battle between two very similar teams, right? We're talking about a below-average quarterback on both teams, a okay offensive line, but like nothing to write home about, uh, a pretty good wide receiving room a really good defensive line and a really good secondary on both teams. Right. So it's going to be like, it's pretty much, I think who makes less mistakes and who can just like, who's probably going to be more explosive in this game. Um, I don't know right now if Zach Wilson is better than like a, uh, I, I don't know if Zach Wilson might be better than an injured Russell Wilson, right? Like he's obviously playing, Russell's obviously playing hurt. Zach Wilson hasn't played good. I think at all, um, even though Jets fans will tell you otherwise, the, the, my like, angle for this game is I think the Jets will have some success except for when Zach uh, Zach Wilson is under pressure, right? And that seems like such an obvious thing that, oh, when a quarterback's under pressure, he's going to get worse. But it, it's like really bad for Zach Wilson. Just to read off some stats, he is dead last in PFF grade under pressure, 25.1 overall grade, 26.1 passing grade. He's four of 23, which is a 17.4 completion percentage under pressure two interceptions and five turnover worthy plays. He has a 16.1 turnover worthy play rate on, on pressured plays. So we saw what the Broncos D lined is to the chargers offensive line. And Zach Wilson is not Justin Herbert. Like his pocket presence is not even close to what Justin Herbert is. So if the Broncos at home are able to get that type of pressure again versus the jets, I think the jets, the jets will be in for a long day, but you know, obviously they have a, a decent run game. You know, Mike LaFleur has obviously been pushing a lot of the easy buttons for Zach Wilson, even though it hasn't really worked out, I think, the way that some people would hope, at least by the advanced metrics. Um, but, yeah, I am I am curious to see how this Jets offense rebounds against a really, really good and talented Broncos defensive front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, like this is like the, the Simpsons paradox of things where it's like, you know, separately, like not under pressure and pressure, it's okay to be, you know, like average at both. You just don't want to make sure that you're, you just want to make sure that you're not pressured off often because, you know, you, if you don't get pressured often, you know, pressure efficiency is almost always better than non-pressure uh, or sorry, non-pressure efficiency is always almost always better than pressure efficiency. So when you have a Broncos defensive line that has, you know, Randy Gregory, um, you know, having a top 10 pass rushing season right now, Baron Browning has been playing very, very well. You still have Bradley Chubb there, who's been an above-average pass rusher. The more and more that they get pressure on Zach Wilson uh, and you know decrease his his efficiency, there is going to be you know pretty pretty huge. And like that's why I think you know as, as from the Jets' perspective, you're going to have to lean on the run game again, and you're going to have yeah. to hope that your defense just keeps playing out of their mind like they've been these past couple of ranks. That you know they rank 11th in defensive EPA per play after a slow start. Uh, you know, you, with with what you have in Sauce Gardner, um, you know, taking away basically like any receiver right now with with the level that he's playing at, Quinton Williams can really disrupt Russell Wilson. Like, you don't want pressure up the middle against Russell Wilson you know, <laughs> with, with his mobility and his like hamstring yeah. injury right now because he's not going to be able to move. So I do think that the Jets defense is going to be so dominant in this game that the Broncos aren't going to be able to store. But it, it might be a pretty ugly game where i don't know if either team gets to 13 points even oh wow that is a very hot take but 
I'm I'm gonna be you know the the props at this time haven't been released, but I'm definitely gonna be on all over Zach Wilson under a 0.5 passing touchdowns against his Broncos defense. If Justin Herbert couldn't throw a touchdown, I don't think Zach Wilson can. Um, but I guess the other the other part about this game is you know is talking about Russell Wilson and this Jets defense, and I think I think this Jets defense matches up very well against this Broncos defense, similar to how the Chargers did. Um, when I was you know, doing my Chargers analytics video I do every week, I was talking about how Asante Samuel Jr. should be matched up on Jerry Judy since Asante is a little bit of a smaller guy, but he's also twitchy. And you should put J.C. Jackson on Sutton. And I think it's a very similar thing for the Jets. They should have Sauce Gardner on Sutton. Sauce is 6'2", Sutton 6'4". And while Judy is 6'1", and G DJ Reed is like 5'10", 5'9", Reed is the, I would say, like, more of the twitchy guy, right? Like he's the guy built to handle the smaller receiver of the two outside guys. So I think the, the the Jets defense matches up very well. And, you know, the Jets D-line has gotten pressure at an, at the eight highest rate in the NFL right now. And, you know, just like um, Zach Wilson, like Russell Wilson hasn't been good at all under pressure. 40.9 PFF grade, uh, 44.9 uh, completion percentage, you know, no touchdowns, one pick. Like he hasn't been that great under pressure. So it, it really is going to be a battle between two really like two quarterbacks that haven't been playing well i think at all this year and uh you know as we'll get when we talk about our best i'll give like the side i like for this game but it is a it is a pretty fun game between two teams that are kind of going in opposite directions mm -hmm. yeah and you know when we talk about like I've, I've said this a million times but just like passing efficiency being down as a whole this year like these are these are kind of two examples of it where like you know zach wilson three and oh is a starter without having been super efficient in, in any of his games like there is a path for it to work this year um but it's it, it's just kind of like been been that like weird season where you know where you know you can you can do a lot on defense like the broncos have like influenced a lot of their games because of how good their defense has been but you just can't have like one of the worst offenses in the league which is like basically what the broncos have right now so it, it'll it'll be interesting it's not a game i'll you know watch too much of not planning on it, but I'll definitely like keep keep my eyes on the the score tracker as it updates while I'm watching some some game where where points are being scored. Yeah. Okay. Last game of the game slate we're gonna review Chiefs 49ers. Um basically the Super Bowl rematch, right, from a couple years ago. Uh this one's this one's interesting. I think the Chiefs Coming off a loss, you know, I think Andy and Mahomes are gonna call the good plays as we as we kind of referenced in the Chiefs Raiders game. Um, you know, they don't really take losses too lightly, but and you know, it's not like they performed bad against the Bills defense. I think they did just struggle in some high leverage situations, especially like in the red zone where Mahomes threw the the pick. But this Niners team is so injured. Like it is really bad. Like mm -hmm. we're not even talking about like one or two guys on, on both sides of the ball. I mean the Niners right now may not have Emmanuel Mosley or Charverius Ward, right? And we're talking about if you want to beat this Chiefs chief offense, you want to play man. The Niners can't play man with like th three or four weak links on their in their secondary. If Nick Bosa doesn't play, you're going to give Mahomes a clean pocket to throw to from like basically every play. Like I know that Niners de defensive line is kind of a factory and D'Amico Ryan's one of the best in the NFL is keeping up pressure. Like the Niners have the fourth or fifth highest pressure rate in the NFL. But if you don't have Nick Bosa or Charvarius Ward in this game, or potentially Arik Armstead, who hasn't practiced any of the three days, I just I don't know what the game plan is for D'Amico Ryan to slow down this Chiefs offense. I just don't. Yeah, I think 
it's it's really interesting the injury thing because you know when we created war adjusted injuries loss which just measures like you know how many injuries you have and then what impact those have on your team so that like if like a, a quarterback getting injured should have more you know weight than a backup linebacker or something the 49ers basically every year show up as one of the most injured teams in the league and this is not like a stable metric at all like injuries are really fluky and really influenced by if you if your star player stayed healthy or not but for some reason every single year they like just rack up these injuries like crazy and you know i don't know if it's something with their training or sports science staff or it's just like just crazy bad luck multiple years in a row but you know with with like yeah like you mentioned like multiple corners out you know jimmy ward is safety nick boson really needs to come back uh you know you have uh, all these other other defensive linemen that are injured too, they they cannot afford to you know really have like any leeway in this game. And like if they stick in the cover three that you know they they like to play, Mahomes you know has a zero point five EPA per pass against cover three, best in the mm-hmm. NFL. Um, so they really have to get into you know maybe uh maybe like two high shells, like even though they don't like to do that. And like you've mentioned, like that's not really the way to play the Chiefs this year, but they. They are limited, but if I do trust anyone to figure that out, it is Danico Ryan's because he's put together so many impressive game plans uh, against so many high-powered offenses uh, these past two seasons. Yeah, and the thing with the Niners is they actually, I would say, when they're fully healthy, they match up very, very well versus the Chiefs' mm-hmm. offense. They pretty much have the two tight end Razors and Travis Kelsey and uh, Hufunga, right? But Hufunga, I think, has been not practicing because of a concussion, so I don't know if he's going to play in this game. The Niners have allowed like the second least receiving yards against tight ends. Um, so that that could potentially be something to watch out for in terms of like how they uh, low-key might have a matchup advantage against Travis Kelsey. And both, I think, Greenlaw and Warner show up very well in our successful coverage over expected metric this year. But I think, I think the Niners are so banged up on defense. And on the flip side, on offense, the Niners' offense at full strength put up 14 points against the Falcons 14 points like what like I, I wasn't expecting much from their defense because they, I knew they were so banged up but to put up 14 points on that crappy Falcons defense I, like are they even going to be able to take advantage of this Chiefs defense at home like what like what do you think is going to happen in that in that uh you know matchup I I actually do think they will be in this game um just because you know I I feel like the the Shanahan Jimmy G, uh, you know, kind of duo has like those weird games where they travel to the East Coast and like nothing goes right, like every every <laughs> single year. But like I, I I think that you know like with what the 49ers have in place with uh like like I don't see anyone on the Chiefs you know really being able to match up well with Debo Samuel. I think like his his versatility and like where he can line up can can be a problem for them. Like the Chiefs like to you know stay in lighter personnel where they have more defensive backs on the field and you know Kyle Shannon just having you check out there and you know being able to get into 21 personnel with with you know two backs one tight end uh will will not let the Chiefs do that and like I think it's it's really tough to prepare for this this 49ers uh offense you know when when you're when when you're like a defense in the Chiefs that you know likes to just kind of do the same thing every week and not have too much you know uniqueness between like which which offenses you're playing so that's that's where I see the path for the the 49ers to win this game because like you know the the line is 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 three which seems low for 
you know, one of the best teams in the NFL and the Chiefs going up against like a middling NFC team. But when everyone goes, you know, on TV and, uh, you know, is, is putting out their picks articles and everyone's taking the Chiefs this week and the line doesn't yeah. move, that, you know, is like a little bit of a signal that, you know, Vegas really has a good feeling about the 49ers this week. And, you know, I think I think that starts with how they match up on offense versus the Chiefs defense. Okay, so that was our week seven preview. Um, let's move into our bets now. Um, so I'm, I'll kick it off. Jets money line. We are taking the Jets to win this game on the road in Denver. I am a little bit worried. And this is kind of the issue with betting, uh, you know, very late in the week on Friday. Uh, this was this line is three and a half on Sunday. And when I was on the PFF forecast, I told, you know, Brad and George, I love this play. This was one of the bets I wrote up on the PFF website, you know, right after the show ended. So now going from three and a half to, to basically a pick or, or plus one is is a pretty big line move. But I, I still like the Jets to win this game straight up simply because, you know, I think I trust. I don't trust Zach Wilson as a quarterback. I don't trust Russell Wilson as a quarterback, but I do have a little bit of faith in Mike LaFleur and how he's mm-hmm. been pushing a lot of the easy buttons. His scheme has widely been regarded as one of the best in the NFL from NFL coaches and also like the film grinders on Twitter and stuff. You know, while Brees Hall might not be effective, he is getting a lot of volume and, you know, e- efficiency and volume are two kind of like different things, but, you know, he, he could be due for a big game. It seems like Jets Twitter's has been saying he's, you know, a top five back and top 10 of scrimmage yards and all that. Um, obviously there are some concerns with Zach Wilson going up against the secondary, but if, if the Jets are able to get Brees Hall involved in the passing game more like Michael Carter, Tyler Conklin, I think they could have some success and I'm not buying into this Broncos team at all. Um, and their offense is legitimately one of the worst in the NFL. And I think this Jets D line, especially with Quinn and Williams going against Lloyd Cushenberry, which might be the biggest mismatch of the week. Um, I think they'll have a lot of, I think the Jets will have a lot of success on defense and put their offense in favorable situations to succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like the, you know, I, I like this bet as well. And like the Jets just coaching staff has gotten a lot better throughout the season. Um, Like, yeah, like LaFleur, you know, his play colleague has been great on the flip side, their middle of the field open rate has risen at each week that they played. And like, if, if Russell Wilson doesn't want to see anything, it's, you know, middle of the field open, the coverage has haunted him. Uh, for these past two years, so I I do like that bet. Um, you know, if the if the Jets are five and two, and you know going into that crucial matchup against New England, who you know mm-hmm. will will uh, beat the Bears. Actually, I I can say that as a bet. So New England minus seven and a half is is like a pick I really like Monday Night Football. Um, you know, so first of all, like Justin Fields, we kind of know is not good at this point. Bailey Zappi is probably also not going to be like a great quarterback, but we don't, we don't know as much about him. So like, I would argue that the Patriots have the quarterback advantage in this game right now, because Zappi could be perfectly average. And like, that's where you have to slot him when you plot his whole range of outcomes, his mean becomes an average quarterback while fields is mean becomes a below average quarterback. But Zappi does rank fifth in EPA per play right now, (laughs) 72.7 PFF grade, which is crazy. Fields ranks 26th in the EPA per play, 57.1 PF grade. On the flip side of things, um, you know, the Patriots defense is just so stacked right now. And like everyone's playing really well. Uh, you know, you have Jack Jones, number one grade corner at PFF. 
Jonathan Jones, uh, PFF's eighth grade corner. Dietrich Wise, Matthew Judon are just phenomenal, um, you know, both in stuffing the run and the, the pass game. And then, like, the most versatile safety trio in the NFL, Adrian Phillips, you know, Kyle mm-hmm. Duggar, who I think is amazing, and then Jabril Peppers also fills in um, about half of the snaps that the other safeties play there, too. So I think Bill Belichick is going to really take advantage of Fields' indecisive decision-making, his, you know, ability to take more sacks than he should be. And, you know, the, the Bears' offensive line is really bad, but Fields hasn't been playing well as well. It's, it's been kind of like a you know, a situation where it would be really hard to succeed, but he's not even, you know, showing showing signs of succeeding right now. So I think, like, yeah. the Patriots could really just run away with this one. Um, you know, they, like, when they play a team that uh, they're better than, they usually, like, kind of, like, blow them out instead of, like, yeah. letting them hang yeah. around like other teams do. So I don't think, like, a backdoor cover will happen as well. So I, I do like Patriots, you know, seven and a half on, on Monday night. Yep, love that play. And an unofficial compliment to that play would be Fields under 0.5 passing touchdowns, which has mm-hmm. been the most, you know, one of my most profitable <laughs> plays yeah. week in and week out. And um, if I could, if I could bet Fields to throw a pick six, if that was a bet in this game, I <laughs> well, would. Well, you can't. You can that. bet Packers defense to score a touchdown. Oh yeah, Patriots defense score a touchdown. Oh, I like Patriots, that. Yeah, I, yeah. I'll, yeah. I, I actually, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, I, that's an unofficial bet as well. Patriots defense yeah. score a touchdown. Word. But, you know, I said Packers for a reason, and that's because I'm backing the Packers minus four and a half. Okay, the Packers coming into this year, if you told me there'd only be four and a half point favorites against this Washington team, I, I would just laugh. But that's where we are right now. And the Packers, you're we're, okay, we're buying low on the Packers. That's basically this bet. I don't think Aaron Rodgers was like actually like that bad. I went back and watched some of the dropbacks. Yes, grind to the tape a little bit. <laughs> But I don't think he's been that bad. And the thing with this commander's defense is there's so many weak links. It doesn't really matter who the Packers are trotting out on offense. Like, they're going to be able to take advantage. Um, William Jackson isn't practicing. So their secondary is going to be like Kendall Fuller, uh, Benjamin St. Juiced, and and some other person. Or I don't even even know if Kendall Fuller is even on the starting lineup. But four and a half is, is, I don't think, enough points. I unfortunately got some negative closing line value. I took this at five and a half. And basically my thesis for this game is the Packers defensive line is just better than the Washington offensive line. And we saw this in the Dallas game where Dallas sacked uh, Carson Wentz two times, but they forced Carson Wentz to have this really, really low time to throw. I think his time to throw is like 2.15 or something in that game. And the, the Packers defensive line has been forcing pressure at the sixth highest rate in the NFL. Rashawn Gary, our depoy candidate, you know, one has been having a tremendous year. He's going to be playing Preston Smith, Kenny Clark. I think the Packers D line will be able to shut Taylor Heineke up. And, you know, Heineke, we, we don't know, like he could be an upgrade over Wentz at this point. But, you know, what we've seen from his career, Heineke does really well on like scripted plays. And when uh, Scott Turner pushes the easy buttons via play action, I think Heineke had like one of the highest EPA under play action this year, like last year, but really, really struggled on non-play action plays. Mm-hmm. So I really like the Packers defense. In this <coughs> I think this is a great get right spot for the Packers offense. Um, I guess the only one concern I'd have for this game is, you know, David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins haven't looked really that good since coming back from injury. They've had that kind of acclimation period. I'm kind of hoping it's over, obviously, for our bet. And the, the commanders do have the second highest pressure rate in the NFL. But, you know, I think I think the Packers 
um, will be fine. And if anything, they should probably lean on their run game a little bit more in this game since, you know, as we talked about in our review show, it has been working, especially in those high leverage situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I like this as well. Um, you know, I think that yeah, the situation that the, the Packers are like, the Packers are still in this, like they're, they're still contenders. Washington's at the point in their season where they're kind of just packing it up. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're, trotting out, you're trotting out your backup quarterback. Your uh, <laughs> your coach is is pretty much done there and everything. So um, I, I I do think that the the Packers should should cover this game um, and 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 kind of win it pretty easily, uh, like 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 we've seen so many times in the in the past. Um, uh, last last bet here. So I I have Chargers Seahawks under fifty one. Um, you know I I I'm sorry to to do this to you. I know you're gonna have to sit through another game where you're frustrated by the offense. I'm like, that's my whole thing about this, right? Is like the Chargers offense isn't explosive. Um, you know, they have the 23rd highest rate of plays that go over 15 yards, which is like we we like to deem as explosive plays. That's worse than the Panthers and the Saints, whose offenses have been awful this year. Um, and so when you have, you know, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, like, isn't a good play caller. And, you know, he was only able to put up nine points on Seattle's defense, you know, in, in this. And then when you're going into this game, Joe Lombardi is not a good play caller as well. Also going up against Seattle's defense, who's not talented, but like at least that they've shown that they can at least stop one NFL offense this year. Um, and then like, you know, Geno Smith as, as well, he's, he's been playing and like, you know, his, his uh, EPA per, per drop back on pure drop backs, like removing RPOs and screens and play action is still top five in the NFL right now. It is going to regress eventually. So, you know, maybe that's this game against the a Chargers defense that dialed up every blitz package imaginable against the Broncos last week and, you know, really took advantage against there. We've, we've seen that the Chargers defense can, you know, adjust to the way that opponents play. So I just think, like, because of all those factors, you know, that 51 is, is a lot to get to for two offenses that, you know, struggled the most recent week and, like, have defenses that are starting to seem like they're playing better. Yeah, I definitely think the unders the play in this game, uh, especially if Keenan Allen's not playing. The Chargers could be without Josh Palmer, so we're talking wide receiver one and three. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, the the Chargers defense, while J.C. Jackson hasn't been playing good, I think overall it's been a pretty pretty solid defense at times. And while I do think the CX offense can be super explosive, which is where the Chargers struggle, that's kind of my only worry for this game, especially not even for the under, but just like for the Chargers in general, like mm -hmm. DK Metcalf and Lockett have been really, really good on like deep passes from Geno Smith. And as we saw with, you know, JC Jackson on prime time, you know, the Chargers have struggled on uh, preventing explosive plays, which kind of sucks because that's what you hired Brandon Sealy for to kind of prevent those explosive plays. But I definitely think the under is the play. And I, I do think there's a, a very high possibility we see both teams have uh, a low scoring affair. But what do you... What do you like for our bet of the week um, in, in this, you know, from this slate? Mm -hmm. Yeah, bet of the week, 1-0 in the past week. So we're, we're riding yeah. hot here. Um, <laughs> so my, my favorite pick that I gave out was Patriots minus 7.5. Yeah. Your favorite pick that you gave – or my favorite pick that you gave out was Packers minus 4.5. So whichever one you like better between those two, I don't think we can go wrong with, with either of those. But um, I'll, yeah. I'll leave it up to you, whatever one you prefer. Yeah, I I think laying the points with uh with the Patriots on Monday night football at home. Um I, I think that's definitely the play. It's kind of a fade Justin Fields play as well, uh, which which I'm fine with. 
Um, so yeah, I do like the Patriots seven and a half. And you know, we're we're all Bailey Zappi or Mac Jones fans, whoever starts on Monday. <laughs> yeah, that that'll be that'll be fun. It's always it's always fun to uh to root for for the Patriots there. Um, because you know it's it's historically it's worked out so well. So all right, Patriots minus seven and a half Monday night football on Diwali will give us something oh, yeah. to to root for during that game. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. All right, so that's going to wrap it up. 21st episode in the books. Hope everyone has a great weekend. And, you know, with their bets and just watching the games in general, hope your favorite team wins. But that's going to wrap it up from us today. And as always, on next time, I'll take the place.